0: Rachel, I'm so excited that you are joining us. Hello. Hi, me too. Super excited for this. Yay. Rachel is joining us all the way from Denver, where it is slightly colder than where I am in Florida, Um, but also like equally, if not more beautiful. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So Rachel and I, when I started uh, looking, I, I came across her on TikTok and like very much got sucked into like her incredible content and all the work that she's been doing. And then I realized that we have two main things in common, Rachel. So the first one is that we've both quit our jobs. Uh, so there's that. The Amazing. second one is that we both love incorporating curse words into our business, <laughs> In our, into our business entities. Because if you guys aren't familiar with Rachel, she has a book um, that is called Money Honey A Simple Seven Step Guide to Getting Your Financial Shit Together, which <laughs> perfectly aligns with the literal uh, summit of getting your shit together.
1: It's meant to be.
0: It is meant to be. Yeah, exactly. Like, I love. I love and I I love a good, strong female who curses like that's my love language. So uh, I feel like we all like we fit perfectly together. Um, Rachel, I would like to I have a bunch of information on you and we'll cover it in a second. But I would love for you to sort of tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you do um, and sort of like what you're known for in the finance sphere.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'm a lot of things. I am a (laughs) former financial advisor, a best-selling author of two books, um, a real estate investor. So by the time I was 26, my husband and I built a real estate portfolio of 38 units. And what people find most intriguing about me is the fact that at age 27, I quit my job and retired, and I'm now living off close to $20,000 a month in passive income. That so that is, is my high level story.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. Um, yeah. So, and I and I love that. And obviously, that is like something that most definitely would get anyone's attention. But I think particularly, and I would like to to go into a little bit of details about exactly how you did that. Um, because one of the things that I love about you, and when I started reading, you know, watching some interviews and podcasts that you had done, um, you, you know, that money did not come, you're not a trust fund baby. You and your husband, you know, it's not like you're you know, family. You didn't come into like a massive inheritance or something like that. And so I think your strategy for how you got there is by far the most impressive part. So can you talk a little bit about, um, I know the, the the main way that you have achieved this level of wealth and passive income is through real estate, but can you talk a little bit about that? Because obviously there's a lot more involved.
1: Yes. And thank you for clearing that up because people always assume I'm a trust fund baby sure. based on my story. Yeah. And the other thing is, Two is that I never made six figures from a job or a career. I started off making $36,000 after graduating, and then my second job out of college was $32,000, and then my third job was $42,000. So by no means did I have some huge income advantage either. Um, It came down to a lot of discipline and hard work and saving money and being frugal and just boring things, to be quite honest with you. Um, But how did we achieve it at a high level? In 2017, my husband and I started investing in real estate. So we found our first duplex that year in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a $100,000 duplex. And by then, we each had $10,000 that we had saved over the course of several years. And we pulled that money together to get to a $20,000 down payment. So we had the first rental property. Later that year, I self published my first book, Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, rental income and royalty income, and we focused on growing those as much as we possibly could. Fast forward to 2019, within a span of basically two and a half years, we'd grown our real estate to 38 doors. We'd grown our passive income to 10K a month at the time, and that is when I was able to quit my job and retire.
0: I want to talk about that for a second um, because... Uh, you know, that first off, that's wildly impressive. And I think that one of the things that I love is that you are doing this at an age where people feel like that's completely impossible. Like somebody, somebody our our age. I, how do you mind if I ask how old you are now? Yeah, I'm 29, 29. Okay. So I'm 30. I just turned 30. So someone our age, would think like, well, that's completely impossible for someone like me to do. And I know that there were some strategies that you had along the way, but I want to actually backtrack for a second to the thing that you and I have in common originally, which is quitting our job. Um, Can you talk about what... What was your mindset and what made you take that leap? And I want to talk a little bit about, I I think the financial part is super fascinating, but I also think the idea that you had the courage and the bravery to say, like, I want to change my situation and I'm going to do, I'm not just going to go find another job. I'm going to do something so drastic that I'm now going to be basically self-employed.
1: Yeah, it was scary. And I also used to think this whole thing was impossible. So I was right there with everybody else that thinks that. If you're thinking that, I never thought I could do any of this or achieve this. Um, when it came to quitting my job, it was very scary. I, it took me like a year to actually go through with quitting. So we had built up this passive income and I could have quit. It took me a year to go through with it because I was questioning myself. By then, I had a very lucrative corporate finance career still not making six figures, but I was making 80 something. Mm -hmm. And I I was engaged at this work. I was challenged at this particular career. I did really love my um, coworkers, my manager. It was hard to walk away from because I knew if I stayed there, I could probably be CFO of this company. So I was getting caught up in this, you know, climb the ladder, climb the corporate ladder and I knew I could be heavily rewarded in that environment. So it was hard to walk away from th- from that perspective. And then also I kept thinking, what are what are people going to think of me? Which in hindsight is so silly, but I couldn't help it. I, I just couldn't help thinking that, you know, what are my family and friends gonna think of me? How am I gonna explain to them that I'm an investor and author? I it took me so long to be able to introduce myself and to say I'm an author and mm-hmm. to say it confidently because i felt like it wasn't as impressive or legitimate as saying i'm a senior finance analyst so there was a lot of these limiting beliefs and fears but i was able to finally walk away knowing that i had the financial security and i'd worked my butt off and in hindsight i wish i had quit sooner because i'm I'm really glad that I went through it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting. And I was just talking to somebody the other day and it was like, uh, I'm in one of these like, you know, female entrepreneur groups or whatever. And one of the posts, one of the things that I've struggled with is like you said, introducing and believing myself enough to say, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner, I'm whatever, you know, that thing that you identify that is different than, you know, the norm. And there were so many women who commented and they said, I've been in business successfully for 10 years and my mother will still send me indeed job listings or something like that because people (laughs) don't consider it a real job. People feel like you have to have this, you know, like real job with benefits nine to five. You're at an office every single day and that's not necessarily the case.
1: I agree. Yeah. I mean, and we get pushed back too because my husband still works. Mm -hmm. And so people are like, oh, you're not retired. And we save a hundred percent of his salary and it's not about quitting your job. It's about doing what you want to do and he loves his job. So if he still wants to work, great. That's what he should do. You know, I'm still working. It's not about never working again. It's about working, because we want to, not because we have to. And
0: doing and, it, and doing work that that clearly lights you up. So yes. talk about, okay, so so you have this, you have this initial duplex that you guys um, you know, purchased and started. I think you said that you were starting to generate 500 dollars a month and profit from that. And then lead me through the journey of how you get from one, you know, the duplex to sort of like the empire, you know, that you have now or the portfolio yeah. that you have now.
1: Okay, it all happened way faster than I thought. Really? I thought, yes, I thought this was going to take us 15 years. I had a 15-year plan. We started in my early 20s. I thought we were going to retire in my late 30s and I was like, that's fantastic. That's early retirement. Love it. Yeah. And then when we started doing it, it just we we had all this momentum and went way faster than I thought. There were three things that we did that helped us scale very, very quickly. First of all, we did not give into lifestyle creep. And this is a big one. We worked so hard to find this first duplex. It was very difficult, very discouraging at times. It took us nine months. And this is after we'd made offers on other properties. This is after we had an accepted contract that fell through. We questioned if we should even be doing this. You know, Maybe it just wasn't in the cards for us. Sure, other people do this successfully. Maybe it's just not meant to be. But we didn't give up, we persevered, we found that first duplex, we closed on it. And then we were generating $500 a month in profit. It would have been easy for us to say, amazing, it's time for us to live it up. We can reward ourselves. We can get a new car. We can do all these things that we've been putting off. But instead of doing that, we saved that $500 a month. We saved all of the cash flow that we were making so that we could put it towards the next down payment. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing we did. Also, we continue to save 50% of our salaries, of our combined income. So even though I wasn't making a lot, I think by that year, my husband had just made a hundred thousand dollars on the dot or something so our combined income was over a hundred grand we were saving half of our income so we were starting to be able to save a lot of money each year we continued to save and then the third thing that really helped us scale quickly is that i had my real estate license i did not have it for the purpose of having clients buy and sell houses it was just for my own purposes as an investor so i would represent myself as the buyer's agent on all the transactions that we did all the times we bought a house. And we would fully deplete our savings every time we bought a house. But I would get a commission check back at closing for thousands of dollars, sometimes $10,000 or more. And again, this would be another big boost towards the next down payment. So all of these income sources, all of this money that we had and that we were saving, we could come up with 20% down payments very, very quickly. And the more rental properties we bought, the more cash flow we had and the more we could save. So it just went a lot faster than we thought. And by the end of 2018, we had purchased three more buildings, getting us to the 38 units, 38 doors total. And that's when we stopped acquiring real estate.
0: So that's fascinating to me. Talk to me a little bit. uh, This is the part listening to other interviews and stuff that you've done that the key that is really fascinating to me, because I think it's, you know, people can sort of like learn how to buy and invest in real estate and things like that. But the really fascinating part that you did was getting that real estate license. Talk about like, So, so talk a little bit in addition to, um, you know, being able to get that commission check back, like what led you to that? And what would you recommend for other people who are sort of interested in maybe taking that same path?
1: I got it initially because in some of these previous jobs that I had before corporate finance, I was doing real estate roles. Mm -hmm. I had partnered with somebody who flipped properties because I, I wanted to be learning about real estate investing And then I was an assistant to a realtor at some point. So between those two jobs, um, one of them paid for me to get my license, I believe, so I could work with them in a more thorough capacity, which was great because then obviously it helped me later. Yeah. I would have done it on my own, though. It's not terribly difficult. You have to study and take an online course and take some education online. And then you do have to pass the exams and you have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. In general, in my experience in Kentucky, it cost about $1,000 to $1,500 per year to maintain your license. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do one transaction per year, it'll typically pay for your license. Sure. And the, my transactions were, you know, more, they were high volume transactions. They were worth more. So I was getting even a higher commission than that. So it was definitely worth a lot to me. And the other benefit of having the real estate license is not just the commission. You have a, t- a slight time advantage because now you have access mm-hmm. to the MLS. Sure. Everyone's on the MLS searching for properties. And I distinctly remember one the last property we bought, which was an enormous duplex that we converted into a, an even more multi-unit property. So it was one of the best deals we ever did. It was an enormous duplex. It came on the market for 125 grand in a pretty good part of Louisville. And I was like, that can't be right. That's so cheap. It came up, it was listed. And because I have these listings, and because I have my real estate license, I left the office. I was like, I have to go. There's an emergency. <laughs> I left I left my job. I was at this property in 20 minutes after it was listed. And I was on the phone making a verbal offer 30 minutes later. Yeah. And it was because I had my real estate license yeah. that I got that deal.
0: That's incredible. And, and so, how much? How much in the end now is that? How? How? What does that deal look like now? So we bought it for 125, put
1: 40k into it to renovate it, made a ton of cash flow over the last few years, and we sold it this year for 325. Good for you, Rachel.
0: Yeah, That's yeah, freaking Thank you. amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Good for Thank you. you. If you love this episode, head on over to marissaclark.net slash member to join the inner circle. It's a realistic self-improvement membership for those looking to fulfill their purpose with a mix of expert workshops, mentorship, tangible tips, and a whole lot of badassery with topics that matter to you, including love, sex, dating, mental health, body image, finances, and finding your purpose if right now you're feeling burnt out stressed out overwhelmed and embarrassed because you feel like everyone else has it all together except for you then you're gonna love the inner circle each month we're gonna be bringing you different themes like getting your money together getting your mental health together getting your practical ish together if you're ready to form deeper connections unlock a new level of self-confidence and empowerment and relax knowing that you've got your together. Then visit marissaclark.net slash member to get instant access to the membership for just $9 a month. You can cancel anytime. It's literally just 30 cents per day. Again, that's marissaclark.net slash member, and I'll see you on the inside. So, okay. So uh, this, here's, here's my question for you. When did you have a mentor during this process? Like for me as just like you know, regular, you know, summit attendee, I'm watching this and I'm freaking inspired by you. But I, and I know we can get into, we, I know that you have like obviously your book and you've got like a mastermind and things like that, where people can have education from you specifically and your content online. But where did you learn this from? Like, where did you get this drive? Did you have a mentor? Did you do online education? Like, obviously even the real estate license itself would be education because you're learning more about the real estate market in general, right?
1: Yeah. And unfortunately I didn't have a mentor, which is a mistake I think I made or, just ignorance. I didn't know better. I didn't know no. who to learn from. I didn't know which courses I could even take. I didn't know that was an option at the time. Mm-hmm. I was just reading books. I read every book I could get my hands on. And then I learned from the people that I worked with in those odd jobs here and there. Mm-hmm. So that's how I learned. I feel like I was mostly self-taught. And here's the problem with that. It took me a lot longer to figure things out. And I made costly mistakes because of it, yeah. because I didn't know what I was doing. Of course, it all worked out in the end. I made a bunch of money and it, it might have just taken me more time and I made a few more mistakes than I otherwise would have. But I have this problem, this flaw, I guess, where I, it's hard for me to invest in myself and I tend to be cheap. I tend to always take the cheaper route and to DIY. And I'm trying to work on this because sometimes it just makes sense to hire a professional. And it's not just about a mentor or somebody who can teach you. It's also about the right property manager and hiring the right contractor and Mm -hmm. the right people to work with you in your real estate investing projects or in your business. You know, the cheapest option isn't always the best option and it can end up costing you a lot more in the long run. So something I'm working on is investing more in myself, hiring the right people, because at the end of the day, it'll save me time and it'll save me money. So I think it's a really excellent thing to consider.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And and I guess my other thing that when you were talking that really is fascinating to me is that number one, the finance world that you were originally coming from, but also I feel like real estate and, you know, renovation, you're working with a lot of contractors. I correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like it would be a very male dominated industry. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Definitely (laughs) finance. How, uh, like, I think all I think of is like, bro, like crypto, you know, bro, finance, (laughs) you know, like that's the vibe that I'm getting. And I see Rachel who is like beautiful and intelligent and you have your shit together. And like, I, I feel like that would be intimidating to some people. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that and what you've encountered when trying to navigate this whole world.
1: It can be intimidating in some scenarios for sure my best advice is fake it till you make it so and i'm not a woman who is easily intimidated by being in a room full of men thank thank goodness i think because i've just faked it till i made it my whole life i think it's just about being assertive and also not being afraid to ask questions so you know i would go over to a renovation with all the male contractors there i would look up stuff on youtube so that i could kind of ask questions and i'd be like what are you doing here you know what does this mean what's going on over here they would educate me these were good guys um yes you can be taken advantage of and it happens all the time so it does help to have somebody there who can help you who knows about construction um cuz it's not a, a guy could be taken advantage of as well sure. if they don't know something about construction so it just helps to be informed a little bit so you can go over there and they feel sure. like, oh, this person like seems like they know what they're talking about, so I can't really take advantage of them. Yeah. So that's something. And then just being assertive, um, speaking up for yourself, advocating for yourself, not letting people run over you. And again, just fake it till you make it because there's so many scenarios where I was nervous and I just had to pretend like I was confident. Like The first time I had to kick a tenant or not kick a tenant out, but confront a tenant about not paying. I don't like confrontation and I don't like public speaking. And at a lot of these houses I am a woman and a lot of the tenants are are males at a lot of these houses and they're all older than me. Oh, so so you, you're also younger than
0: than all of them and you're the one yes. who owns the property.
1: Right. So it's intimidating. So I remember in my mirror reciting what I was going to say beforehand because I was so nervous and I was reciting you need, you know, you need to pay your rent on time blah, blah, blah. Because you you have to be assertive and aggressive sometimes if people are taking advantage of you, period. And I remember going over there and I was practically shaking and I had to like clench my hands together so that you couldn't tell I was shaking and uh, confronting this guy and telling him to pay his rent. And, you know, he was kind of like, yes, ma'am. And I was like, yes,
0: I did <laughs> yes, it. You know,
1: <laughs> it, it got easier over time and now it's no yeah. big deal to me. But starting out, those situations are really difficult. <laughs>
0: I really – I think that that, that entire uh, sort of antidote that you just said is one of the most I, – I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that, you know, we have this idea of, you know, people who have this massive success and I think, number one, a lot of the times – nobody really knows what they're doing either. Like a lot of other people are faking it and just as much as you are, but also like having that moment of vulnerability and being like, okay, this is something new for me. And I'm a little bit like nervous about it. I I think that's really relatable now. So just to round out sort of the, the real estate portion of where you are, talk to me about where you are now. So you have, you went up to 38 doors. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 38 doors. What is, where are you at now? And what is your plan for the future? Do you plan on explaining, expanding more? How, like, what is the vibe now?
1: Okay, great question. So we have sold three of our buildings this year. Okay. And I'll explain why. I feel like the real estate investing journey is a time versus money trade-off, no matter where you are. So when we started out, we hardly had any money, but we had a lot of time that we were willing to dedicate to finding properties and self-managing them at first, et cetera. We were willing to hustle to make more money. And now later we have a lot of income streams. Money isn't so much an obstacle anymore and we value our time a lot more. So at this point, we got to the point where we were sick of dealing with the hassle of having tenants. And we've gone back and forth between having a property manager versus self-managing. We could have hired a property manager again, but at the end of the day, we made the decision to sell our buildings last year because It was an amazing year to sell property because prices were so high. We knew we could profit a lot of money. The way that we were operating three buildings in particular was taking away from my peace of mind because we were operating them as boarding houses. It was a rent by the room style of rental property. And so it was affordable housing. It was something that is very much needed in a lot of cities, felt like we were really helping a lot of people, but it was a lot more work than a normal traditional long term house. So it was a hassle. I felt like having so many people in one house was a higher liability, even though we had all the insurance and legal stuff to protect us for that. But it was kind of a peace of mind thing for me where I was like, we don't need to be making all this money anymore because these three buildings were cash cows. They made a ton of money. At the end of the day, though, we just began to value our time more than the money that we were making. So we sold those buildings but we do intend to keep investing in real estate. It's just how can we invest in real estate in a more passive way? I have started to invest in something called syndications and it's one of my favorite things now. So a syndication is where let's say an investor finds a $10 million apartment complex and cannot afford to invest in it on her own. Okay. She can form a syndication and raise money from people like you and me. Where we can become private investors in this syndication. Mm -hmm. And we're not just lending them our money, we're actually becoming equity owners in this investment. So we are entitled to a share of the profits. We can get a share of the cash flow, a share of the profits if it ever sells. We are direct owners of this rental property. We get all the tax benefits too, like depreciation. Once you do all the due diligence and analyze the syndication and send in your investment, you don't do anything. You don't manage the property, find tenants. That's up to the syndicator to do all of that. So Mm -hmm. you're like a silent investor. This is the most passive way I have found to directly own and invest in real estate. And I'm in love with it. And the reason we couldn't do this starting out is because a lot of the times you have to be an accredited investor to invest in these. And a lot of them have minimums like 50, 75K, 100K in order to invest in them. And again, Mm -hmm. we didn't have that kind of money starting Mm -hmm. out. But now later on in the journey, this is something we can do is invest in these, even if we're making less money than we did from those houses, but it frees up our time and it's a lot more passive and it's a lot more in alignment with our values and goals.
0: Sure. And it's, it's just less headache on, on Mm -hmm. the day to day. So how much, uh, you, you said that now you guys are close to $20,000 passive income per month. Is that still true? Yes. Even yep. through the pandemic and everything, all the sort of ups mm-hmm. and downs that still sort of held its ground.
1: Yeah, the the pandemic affected us for one month. April okay. twenty twenty was a pretty rough month. And I've talked to a lot of real estate investors about that. And they've said the same thing. It was yeah. a one-month thing and then it bounced back very quickly. Mm-hmm. At that time, we were making about 10 grand a month from our rentals. In April, we made zero dollars from our rentals. So mm-hmm. it was rough. We weren't losing money. We didn't lose money from our rentals. We broke even. So we were fortunate. And again, I like to have multiple streams of income because the only reason I wasn't panicking that month or operating from a place of desperation is because we had these other income streams keeping us afloat. I had my course at the time, I had my books, we had other income streams. So that's the benefit of income diversification
0: which is my follow up question I'm so glad that you mentioned that because so um there is also you were generous enough to um donate a copy of your uh passive your streams of passive sorry correct me on the name passive income passive income, aggressive retirement yes so um but you so you have your book but you also donated um I think like a cheat sheet of like ideas for passive income for our all access pass ho- owners so yes. if you have the all access pass definitely go check that out so Talk, so you have the book. Can you talk a little bit about, um, do you do any kind of advertising promotion on the book or is it strictly just people finding you on Amazon and purchasing it?
1: Yeah, it's all organic. I've been very fortunate that my books have sold so well, especially being self-published books. And a lot of people are like, "That your books are a unicorn. You know, that's so rare. Um, so I've not ever done any paid advertising or marketing. And and I'm very transparent about my income streams. Always happy to share numbers. So, mm-hmm. last year, 2021, I made. I think I'm. I think I'm so bumped because I think I made 99,500 or something in profit from my books. My two books. I was so
0: close to hundred grand. Oh so. <laughs> cool. hell yes! Thank you. <laughs> that is. Oh Thanks. my god. Thanks. it's really cool. That is phenomenal. Good for you. That's Thank you. that's really great. And that is and that's truly passive. I mean, it takes time to write a book. Yeah. It takes time to sit down and put the, you know, put the information into it, but mm-hmm. um once it's on once it's online, that's it, right?
1: Yeah, they're truly passive. I have a mix of passive and active income streams. The real estate stuff is passive, the books are passive, and then my one online pre-recorded course is passive. Okay.
0: Yeah. Very good. So, and and one, I think it was a, a comment that I I heard you mention when in a um in an interview that you did, and I really appreciated this because my my question is to walk me through like a general day, right? Because you don't have like a typical. It's not a. Tip, I'm sure no day looks identical for you, like day after day. So I'm curious about sort of like what a average day would look like for you, but also you made this really interesting comment where you said that. You have been trying to um, actually implement because one thing that I do is I get stuck. I consume a bunch of information, I consume a bunch of books, but it's the actual implementation of it that is so hard. And I feel like one thing that you've mastered really well is that, yes, you've read the books, but you've actually put everything into action, which is where the money comes from, right? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Somebody asked me, you know, what do you think is the difference between people who are successful financially or successful with real estate investing versus people who aren't and what i say is that it's the ability to execute it's the ability to take action right there's this quote knowledge is power and i don't agree with that knowledge is only power if you take action on that knowledge Right. Cause we all know what to do with our finances. We know the things to do. We know to pay off the debt and to save more money and to invest in the stock market and to be on a budget. So it's like, why aren't we doing it? It's because knowing is not enough. You have to actually do all the things that you know you should be doing. And it's, it's hard. Self discipline is hard. I struggle with these things too. My food budget is out of control. It's embarrassing, but I struggle with the same things everyone else does. You just have to have the discipline and, to want something more in the future, more than what you want right now, which is to order the DoorDash meal and to order the crumble cookies that are five minutes away from my house. So that's what you have to kind of keep in mind. But yes, the ability to take action is really what sets people apart.
0: Yeah. And, and so what does your, your day of action look like? What, what are you working on now and what are some of your like immediate upcoming goals? I,
1: am truly a workaholic. So even though I don't have to anymore, I, I love what I do. It's so fun and it's such a challenge. So my goal is to work less, but I'm so bad at that. <laughs> um, every day looks different. And the coolest part I will say about being financially independent is that I have not set an alarm since I quit my job.
0: I haven't either, and it's so good. Well, I I used to work in morning radio, so my alarm was 3:15 uh, every morning. So not setting an alarm is even more significant now. Even if I set yeah. it for eight, if I have like a doctor's appointment or something, right. it is truly a gift.
1: Yes, it's the best. And I will tell you, I still get up at 6:30 mm-hmm. or seven, but to do it without setting alarm just makes a total difference in my day. So that's amazing. I work probably four or five hours a day. And you know, I do podcasts. I do. I make TikToks. Um, I have a virtual assistant and a social media manager, so I'm on meetings with them. I'm writing my email newsletters, um, working on my programs. Like right now, I'm running my rental property bootcamp, which is a twelve week program. To help aspiring investors, so it's a mix of stuff. But yeah, every every day is different. It's a lot of fun.
0: That's amazing. That's really cool. Um, I I I wanted to. I, I've been dying to mention or to have this conversation with you because you had a video, and I don't I don't remember if it was on TikTok or your Instagram, or probably both. But it went viral because you were talking about Dave Ramsey, <laughs> and this is not like a like a smash day. So so Dave Ramsey was actually one of my Uh, actually was my first introduction into personal finance. So I did like the old school, like financial peace university, where you had to like go to the church and do like the whole course and everything like Mm -hmm. that. Right. But what I find interesting about sort of younger, um, younger female in particular uh, sort of, you know, like finance gurus and who are into, you know, talking about finances some of the principles don't hold. And I know that you have a very specific uh, take on uh, his stance on whether your credit score matters, whether you should be completely debt free. And I know that you posted a really interesting post recently talking about how you've like, you had like a million dollars in debt, a million dollars in the, but it was in mortgages. Talk about that. Talk about uh, your perception of that. Because I think what we have been taught recently is that all debt is bad, no debt is good, and that's the end of it. But I think there's a lot more nuance to it.
1: There is nuance. I agree. And I'm glad you asked me about this because I feel like I don't get to clarify my true feelings sure. about what Dave Ramsey teaches. So thank yeah. you. Um <laughs> the context on dave ramsey is that he built a huge multi-million dollar portfolio when he was 26 or 27 in the 80s right the banks called his loans and he went bankrupt
0: yeah
1: people don't realize that and that's why he's anti debt so you okay. have you have to understand what he teaches with context there's legitimate there's legitimacy to that um also what he teaches is really helpful for people who are struggling paycheck to paycheck They are in a ton of consumer debt. They have a ton of credit card debt. His snowball method is excellent. The envelope system is excellent. I've helped a lot of people get out of consumer debt with that. However, it's almost like you have to graduate from that because if you continue on this all debt is bad sort of mindset, you are not going to build true wealth, massive wealth. I would not have retired at 27 have built a real estate portfolio or done any of the things I've achieved if I hadn't taken on debt. And the post that you saw is where I was talking about that I was in over $1 million of debt at one point earlier this year when I had all of my real estates because I had mortgages on all of my rental properties. So it was all real estate mortgages. And the beautiful thing is that because I could do that, I couldn't create all this passive income and all this cash flow, and I could invest in properties that later profited me 200 grand when I went to sell them a few years later. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had bought a property in all cash. So, if you have a hundred grand, for example, you could buy one $100,000 house in cash, or you can buy five $100,000 houses by putting a 20% down payment on each of them. When you use debt like that, your money goes five times as far. So the way to use debt in a smart way that's going to help you build wealth is to invest it in cash flowing assets. Leverage debt to invest in cash flowing assets. That's what wealthy people do that's what real estate investors do. And that's, I think, the smartest way to use debt to your advantage.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that, um, like I said, there's a lot of nuance to it because I do believe, like you said, the debt snowball is really good. And I think that what hit his target audience generally, like me, whenever I first started following him and sort of getting interested in like financial, you know, self finances, is that it's really for people who, like you said, are starting from the bottom. They're starting with tons of consumer debt and it's more of a behavioral thing where if you have debt is bad, you're not going to be adding on to the debt that you currently have because I'm sure that you wouldn't recommend somebody who is in gazillions of dollars of consumer debt to start getting into real estate, uh, building your real estate portfolio. like There is a progression to it, right?
1: Correct. I totally agree. If you have credit card debt, that's 20% interest rate it would make more sense mathematically to pay that off first Mm -hmm. before investing in real estate.
0: So, okay. So let's, let's say that somebody is sort of starting at the bottom, right? They're clearing, they're clearing off their, uh, they just cleared off their consumer debt. They sort of have the basic principles in mind, What would you recommend somebody who is wanting to start into a passive, build a form of passive income? What would you say their first few steps should be Mm -hmm. to building that lifestyle that they want?
1: Okay. So assuming you have an emergency fund, you don't have high interest consumer debt, you have a good financial foundation, and now you want to start building passive income. The first step to take is to ask yourself if you have more time or more money To put into creating a passive income stream because passive income, the word is misused and misunderstood. Passive income is no get rich quick scheme. Okay. It takes time or money to create. The beautiful thing is, once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you are financially independent. So that's the goal to focus on. If you're starting out, you have to ask yourself do you have more time or more money to invest in creating a passive income stream? Now, if you're anything like I was a few years ago, You would say, I don't have time and I don't have money. I'm broke and I don't have any time. That's how I was. (laughs) So, the next question to ask yourself is, which can you free up more of? Can you free up more time or can you create more money? Because there's no way around it. You have Mm -hmm. to have one or the other or both to create a passive income stream. Once you know that, you can narrow down the passive income streams to pursue. There's not just real estate investing, there's a ton of passive income streams. And if you are in the Um, Premier, if you upgrade and you get the pass, then you'll get my Passive Income Starter Kit, which outlines 28 of those ideas. So trust me, there is something out there for everybody. But for example, if you have more time than money, you'll want to focus on a royalty-based income stream, something like self-publishing a book or doing an online course or doing print-on-demand. If you have more money than time, you could focus on generating portfolio income or owning a rental property or something like that. So those are a few examples.
0: I love that. And I think that, um, you know, that that's what it was, a passive income starter kit. And you do, you have so many different ideas. Um, and I think it is truly the combination of finding something that is both a passive income stream. And then the other thing that I know that you did early on was that you were super frugal. Like you were talking about how you lived for like $400 a month or something crazy when you were single and you spent $50 a week on groceries and like you really, really cut back in order to reach your goals. But that's what you have to do in the beginning to start. Because like you said, you don't go from zero to 38 doors. You went from zero to one, zero to two. Like you had these baby steps where it did take, Time, um, but you had the sacrifices and the drive to get you there.
1: Absolutely. Sacrifice is necessary if you want to retire early or achieve financial independence early. Mm -hmm. Sacrifice is necessary. The way I did it, you don't have to do it the way I did it. The way I did it was extreme frugality. I sacrificed my quality of life because I wasn't spending a ton of money. I was living in a small room, a private room in somebody's condo. I was hardly going out to eat. I wasn't doing fun activities with my friends. So I was sacrificing that way. What I missed back then is that I also could have been focusing on increasing my income. So I had a little bit of a limited mindset. I was just focused on decreasing my expenses, which it worked and it was great. But I also could have been you know, getting a part-time job or asking for a raise or promotion or doing something else to increase my income at the same time. And then I wouldn't have felt so constrained. But either way, if you are going to be increasing your income, you're also going to be sacrificing your time, maybe sacrificing your comfort. So mm-hmm. some, somehow, some way, you have to sacrifice something if you do want to achieve these goals of early retirement.
0: Yeah, no, that's very true, and and I think that also, um, you know, one more thing about increasing the income. You you talked about you know self publishing your book is that, and I think I think it's really impressive that you did that so early, so early on, sort of in the journey. Because I feel like people have this idea and this limiting belief that like, well, I don't know what to write a book about. I don't know uh, anything. I'm not an expert in anything. And I think you would be surprised. And I also think that. Um, you know, the, some people feel like, well, I need to be an expert in my field for 20 years before I'm ready to read a book. The reality is you have to be one step ahead of somebody else and that person can then learn from you. So as long as you have enough information on some subject to be one step ahead of somebody, that makes you the expert. That makes you more knowledgeable than somebody else.
1: Yes. I'm glad you said that Marissa, because I held myself back for the same reason I used to think, well, I'm not Susie Orman, I'm not Dave Ramsey, so I'm not the expert. I'm not the number one expert, so why should I write a book? But then I realized, you know, I'm a former financial advisor. All my family and friends come to me for financial advice, so clearly I know more than most of the people in my circle, and I'm able to articulate finance in a way that's simple and easy to understand. Mm -hmm. So once I thought about that, I realized I could help a lot of people. If you know more than the average person, you can help the majority of people out there. So ask yourself, what do people come to you for advice on? What do people come to you that you help them come up with solutions for? If you were going to give a TED Talk, what would it be about? Mm -hmm. Where do you see that there's a hole in the market or that you can solve a problem in the market? That's what you can consider writing a book about.
0: Yeah. And we're in a really fortunate age where you're able to take that information and self publish it somewhere like Amazon. You're not having to wait for Harper's Collins to knock down your door and offer you like some massive book deal. Um, you can start right now. And you are at last year, you said almost a 100,000 from from that choice alone.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Anyone can self publish a book. I used to be enamored with the idea of a traditional book deal because I figured if you got a traditional book deal, then they did all the marketing and promoting right. of the book, which was great because I just wanted to write the thing. I didn't want to have to promote it. Gross, right? right. <laughs> but then the more I asked around and the more research I did, I realized that wasn't the case. When you get a traditional book deal, they still expect you, the author, to do 99% of the marketing and promoting. And then I was like, well, what's the point? Because they're going to be taking all of the money and I'm still going to have to do all the work. I, I truly don't understand it. When you get a traditional book deal, you make 10 to 15% royalty. When you self-publish on Amazon, you can make 35 to 70% royalty. So it's an amazing opportunity for authors. And I think that anyone starting out with, if you don't have a platform, like no one knew who I was in 2017. No mm-hmm. platform, no following. If that's who you are, you can self-publish and still do an amazing job.
0: Yeah, no, super impressive. So, my final question for you, sort of to come full circle and sort of look at a, at the the period ahead. And I know you talked about like you want to work less. That's one of your goals you're not alone in that. And I think that we're seeing this, I'm sure you've heard it a million times. You've probably seen all the articles, you know, writing about the great resignation and people want to quit their jobs. They want to have a different quality of life. And like, I very much feel like that's exactly what this entire conversation that you and I have had, you happened to do it before a pandemic started getting started, but clearly that urge was there and other people are feeling it now too. If, if you had a friend or friends who happen to be watching uh, this summit, what would your advice be if they're in that position where they're like, I'm not happy right now in my corporate finance career job. I want to do something where I have more, even if they're not ready to you know, go as extreme as to retire, but they're like, I just want more financial freedom and I want to be able to do the work that I love. What would What would your advice to them be?
1: I would say a few different things. I would say to have an exit strategy, an exit plan. The mistake I see people make who quit their job is they're given this advice. A lot of aspiring entrepreneurs are given this advice to take a leap of faith and the net will appear. And so we are encouraged, aspiring entrepreneurs are encouraged to just quit your job and start your side hustle. And it's all going to work out. I think that's bad advice because it is very emotionally exhausting and to not have a source of income. I've made the mistake of quitting a job without having another job lined up or having another income source lined up. It's scary. And you don't want to be trying to start a business, trying to invest in real estate, start a side hustle and operating out of a, pl- a place of panic and desperation. And if you quit your job and you don't have other income coming in, that's exactly what's going to happen. You don't want to be operating fear-based. You want to be attracting money and feel confident and feel like money is going to flow to you, right? So what I always tell people is have some kind of income goal from your side hustle or business that you want to get to before quitting your job. Mm -hmm. You can start a business and you can start investing in real estate while working full time. That's what I did. Yes, it's hard. It takes sacrifice, but you have your evenings, you have your weekends. There's more time than you think in your day that you can get that business going. That way, you know that it's bringing in income. It's a sure thing. It's monetized. Whether you want to get to 3000 a month or 6000 a month or you want to fully replace your income like I did before quitting, have some goal and quit once you get to that goal. And you're going to feel a lot more secure in your business and happy that you did that.
0: Yeah, absolutely because then it becomes a blessing and it becomes something that is really exciting versus something that you set sa- like you said is out of panic desperation, you start making really crazy stupid decisions whenever you're coming from that place and so um I think you you would rather have it come from a place of empowerment. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. Well, and, uh, if you are interested, like I said, in, in, uh, some of those passive income ideas, like I said, Rachel has kindly donated her passive, uh, income starter kit. If you are an all access pass member, I will leave uh, the link down for that below. And Rachel, where can people find you, find your books, find your content, uh, tell us where we can keep up with you.
1: Yes. Thank you, Marissa. So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at money, honey, Rachel, both of my books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, are on Amazon and Audible. So, an ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And my website is moneyhoneyrachel.com.
0: Perfect. Very good. Rachel, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to connect and um, for all of this incredible advice. And hopefully, we'll get to chat again soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks.